This is a podcast of conversations about connection, change, and creativity. And today we're joined by Jenna Lee McInnes. Jenna Lee is a yoga teacher, clinical nutritionist, and health coach. She started her yoga journey at the ripe age of 16 and used the nidra practices all through her late teens to early 20s. Jenna Lee and I connected through yoga and poetry and have formed a connection of authenticity and laughter, seeing each other throughout the raw and real experiences of life. I am so grateful to have her on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. I'm not going to lie, I was completely nervous in the lead up to this, but now sitting on the couch, I'm, I'm really excited. Great. I'm still nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still sitting with the nerves and sweating. Um, so, yoga. That's how I know you. Yeah. I was, um, I was really excited the day you came in, actually. It was, I remember it being a really early morning and saw your name. I was like, hang on, I, I know that name. I, I have read your book. <laughs> that, and then I walked in and you're like, did you, have you, have you written a book? And I was like, whoa, this is the first Dude. time I felt like, yes. Like yeah. that was the first time I answered yes. Like, yes, I've oh. I wrote a book. Well, you teared up and it was quite humbling, I think, experience for both of us that you were connecting to my words through the practice and I was connecting to your words in your book and how powerful your words were last year going through a shit time. Yeah, I find that I, I walk into your yoga classes and it's like poetry for me. Mm. You know, I feel like you there's often a theme and it's reflective of where you're at and things that you're dealing with that week mm. and you take us on this journey both through your words and through movement and through music. Mm. Um, and I think it enhances the the connection that I feel with myself, um, but it also enhances the connection I feel with, with you and also with others that are going through it. Like I remember sitting in one of your classes um, with my friend Steph and we were lying there and I think both going through just like a real shit time and, you know, we'd like lie next to each other and we'd look at each other like, okay, we really need this. And you started the class and you told us to inhale. And so we inhaled and then you didn't tell us to exhale and we were just holding. And then you, you know, you broke down and you said, I'm going to need a minute. I'm actually having a really shit day. Mm -hmm. And we're taught in yoga to leave our, our own shit at the door but you ask us to come and show up authentically in your classes and so you want to do the same. And it was the best yoga class I've ever had in my life. It was the first time I've cried in a yoga class on that side of the mat and I remember that day being an absolutely full class as well. But it it was such a beautiful experience to have the space held back, um, sitting on that side of the mat crying and... And the moment I opened my eyes, about five other people crying along with me out of empathy. Um, I think that's what's so beautiful about the practice is you really do connect to people on such an authentic level. And it sort of gave me the permission to do it again in the future. So now it's been about three times. (laughs) Great. And I think also like I remember like going through a really hard time a few years ago and I just started, you know, doing yoga every single day and... I was lying in Shavasana and just crying and crying and thinking, oh, my gosh, I hope no one sees me. And that day that you cried in front of the mat, you know, I was like, cool, this gives me so much permission to do it whenever and however I feel. And I I often find that now 
when I am going through a bit of a hard time, I see myself avoiding yoga because I, I know <laughs> that's the release for me. Like Absolutely. I know I'm going to show up and just my emotions are going to come out. And it's funny you said that um, when you know I'm going through something or the words carrying people along the sort of journey I'm on, it, it can backfire having your heart on your sleeve <laughs> so fierce. Um, many people do respond well to it, which has been a beautiful experience. Again, connecting after class, people come up like, oh, I've been coming to class for four years now. I know something's up or, oh my gosh, generally you're in your heart space. Like I can feel it. You're vibrating. You're this, you're glowing. The other day, a regular student said to me, he's like, yeah, you've got your glow back. I was like, it's funny how much people pick up on what you're putting out, but I think if you're asking someone to be so authentic, to be vulnerable, to tap into what is possible, you don't sit there and be fake. Um, I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could either. And I think it's written on my face. (laughs) It's true because that day that before I got into that class, I could feel it. I like I kind of knew something was up. And it's interesting how when we tap into our own energy and especially through yoga, I think that that's been a real vessel for me. Um, You learn to tap into others and be able to kind of respond um, in a way that's really authentic. Like I just I see you and it doesn't have to be this. I see you, what are you going through? I want to know everything. It's just like I see you because I see myself in that. Absolutely. Which is kind of what namaste is, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like recognising that divinity within each other. Absolutely. So how did you, I guess, how did your yoga practice evolve and your yoga teaching evolve in such a way that you were showing up authentically and tailoring your classes um, with a theme? (laughs) It's a funny question. When we... When we did our teacher training, we were given the sequence and we had to revise the sequence for when we had ex- exams. And so we had to, oh, it, was about, it was about 60 minute sequence. I was trying to memorize it, which was really hard for me because I just like to move and be really fluid and creative in my body. And on the day of the exams, okay, generally you're up. You're going to teach everyone how to do six wheels. Like, that wasn't part of the sequence. She's like, nah, but I want to hear you teach back bends. So the moment I left teacher training, I didn't use that sequence ever again. <laughs> Whereas I would run into some people a few months later and they, they felt it, it was necessary to use that sequence because they knew it covered everything in the human body. You know, every back bend, side stretch, hip stretch, it covered everything. Um, for me, in the first year of teaching, it was more about just hopping on my mat, moving around, writing down every single part of that sequence, having my notes having my theme, having my quotes based around my theme, I would be very, very into journaling and having everything written down. And I guess as time has evolved, the more I taught, the more it sort of just went straight into my head. But having a dance background, I think really helped. So I haven't planned a class properly in about four years. I think that evolution just came with teaching so much. You know, the moment I started teaching, I was teaching a minimum of 10 classes a week. So now fast forward five years later, I teach anywhere between minimum 13, maximum 22. It just varies depending on how many people are away at the studio. But you sort of get into a rhythm of how you like to teach a class, how that evolves is how you practice yourself. I move really fluid. I really like to feel the breath and the movement come together, like just moving easy on the mat. So... It becomes quite dancey, I guess, in my classes. 
it just depends too. Sometimes you're inspired by a certain training you've done and you might start to bring that into your classes. If it fits, it fits. If it doesn't fit, you'll chuck it out and then you just sort of mesh everything in together. In terms of themes, it's all about heart, baby. <laughs> Whatever is happening in my heart space, I, I do wear my heart on my sleeve and I think that has what has made me such a potent teacher in many ways. I know that people relate to that when I do speak from that space. You know, going through loss, grief, even being on cloud nine at times and I've expressed to people that even that in itself is an experience of surrender and ultimately the essence of yoga is surrender. So wherever you're sitting on that spectrum of human emotion, I think it comes down to that essence and just learning how to lean into it. Mm. You came into class one day and you said how you show up on the mat is often how you're showing up in life. Yeah. And I found that one of the most potent things um, I've heard in a long time and it and it's often true is, you know, looking at moments when we're in resistance or we're not leaning into the process or not surrendering or, you know... Not, and not trusting. Not trusting that you're, there's going to be Shavasana at the end and being able to just find joy in the experience even when there is resistance and also for me I think because I'm an overachiever and I you know always want to push myself uh, to the limit I see that yeah <laughs> do you um and and wanting wanting to challenge myself these days to actually you know take child's pose instead mm, of going straight into downward dog mm. and allowing myself to not always strive to push myself um so is the way that you show up in yoga the way you show up in life? Absolutely, yeah. More lately in my practices too, I guess I'd, when I say lately, I'd say the last two years, I'd take child's pose much more than I say I would two, three, four years ago. I was very gung-ho in my practice, very yang. I've really, really tried to bring more of a yin quality into my life and my practice over the last two years. Um you know, I practiced Ryan's class this week and I knew when to rest. But, yeah, younger me was just like, oh, everyone's resting. I'll be in headstand, forearm stand, backbend. And now I, I, I'm happy to take a preemptive shavasana even because actually that's my favourite bit of the practice, stopping, um, even though I am so fluid in my body. You know, you spoke before about the joy, leaning into the joy in the practice. It's my belief that joy can be inclusive with pain you know people sometimes see happiness and joy and then pain and misery or loss as completely separate entities and I think when you're in the practice when you're going through all those motions it's like no you can have this whole experience and this human experience of feeling shit and feeling happy in what you have created for yourself who you are where you're at in your life even when things aren't going so well mm, it's like that um it's not an either or, it's a both and, you know. And I think Moongasms for me was born out of that idea of finding joy even in moments of transition and change, mm. like the moon, you know. Well, that, And that's the yoga, right, the transition. That's what I say to my students, like be in that moment between where you have been and where you're going because, fuck, we're always trying to rush off. What is next? What is next? Fuck where I've been. Like to sit in a child's pose or to sit in a posture for – you know, five, six breaths, that is that moment between. You don't have to know where you're going. You'll get there, but be there. Just be in between. That's the special moment. That's where you really get to learn who you are. You know, one of my pals, 
<laughs> once said that, ah, oh, you're the meanest, you hold us in warrior two for the longest out of everybody. I'm like, well, I don't look at it as being mean. I look at it as being actually really generous because I'm holding you in the posture where you're going to do the yoga. You're going to be in that transition. You're going to be in the breath. You're going to be in your body and you're going to be so much stronger for it. And you're teaching us how to sit in discomfort. Yeah, I love that. I love discomfort. I love finding the comfort in discomfort. Mm. Mm. And I think in life those are the times where where I know that I'm really quick to to judge myself and to to really want to rush past it and you know I I just um started therapy again after having a bit of a hiatus for like 5 years. Amazing. And sitting I was sitting in my therapist's chair. It's old school now. You lie on a couch. <laughs> he sits behind you. Sounds like, you know, the voice of God oh, wow. where he speaks once every like 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> but I was sitting there and I was just like, but I just want to get there already. You know, I'm so uncomfortable in this situation. I'm so uncomfortable with my feelings. And, and, and he said, but get where? And I was like, yeah, where am I? Where am I chasing? It's just like we start to put everything down to our age, right? It's like, oh, I have to do this by I'm 34. And we start to think everything is in years and everything is by a certain age and then it comes back to comparison. It's like if you could just stop measuring it in a certain way and be like, actually, this is where I am and how I'm spending my days, how I'm spending my life. So why am I rushing off to the next day or the day after that when this is the magic, this moment between and I think I do think yoga really helps us to be that way. That's why we speak about being present, right? Yeah, and present with every feeling and and yeah, trying to just rather than even overanalyzing it, why am I feeling this way? I shouldn't be, should be mm-hmm. this this oh. buzzword of the yeah, moment. Sh- which yeah. I, the minute you start noticing how often you say should and shouldn't, <laughs> I, I wanna like scream because it comes up a lot for me. Yeah. And it's actually funny you said that at the beginning of the year, the guy I was seeing was like, stop saying should. I hear you say it so much. What, what's wrong with I want to or I'm going to? I'm like, damn, I didn't even realise I was saying that. And the moment someone brings it to your attention or you're becoming aware of it, that is a very overused word yeah, and so, it can definitely be replaced. And so is the word need. Like I often started catching myself because there's one thing about having needs, right? We all have basic needs or you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But I'll often catch myself saying like, okay, I need to do this, this, this and this. And it feels out of a place of lack and desperation. And scarcity. And scarcity. Um, whereas if I say I'd really like to or I want to, it it comes from a place of like a request, a curiosity, a something I want to invite rather than grab at. I agree. Um, and finding those places where I guess I'm definitely more in my feminine and, and finding myself a lot softer and um, with a lot more yin in my life. But the minute I'm in, and that's when I'm fluid and flowy and creative, and the minute I'm in resistance, I go into like this... I need to do this to get out. And there's that masculine energy. It's really interesting you said that. I was with my osteo today and as we were making some adjustments, I said to him, like, you know, the past few years I have felt that I'm sitting in my masculine. It's overpowering and I know how to get back to my feminine Um, and there are many, many practices that I usually incorporate, but I'm just, I'm not feeling its dominance. 
and she she was saying, describe to me what is what is sitting in your masculine. I was like, well, that resistance, that urgency, that harshness, uh, it is so much less soft than being in your feminine. And she was just agreeing with everything I was saying and then you just said it yourself. And to be in our feminine, I do think that practices like yoga helps, not because it's for a woman in any sense, but the softness when you allow yourself to just move with your breath. It's just like water. Water is soft. Water is that body, you know, it's it's amazing. And the masculine and feminine exists within everyone regardless of what gender you identify with. And so I often find, you know, that anyone can engage in any practice if you're aware enough where your dominant side lies um, and when it comes up because they're both useful. We need duality. We need them both. Um, I, I just often find that sometimes they can become maladaptive. Um, And I also find that I think depending on our our experiences in life and like early childhood experiences, we're often trying to embody the one that we were deficient in growing up. absolutely. You and I have spoken about this on a personal level of of, of because I I didn't have a masculine um, dominant energy in my life growing up that was kind of secure, I then learnt to operate on a mode of I'm an empowered person and I'm going to do this and I need to figure out this and I've got all this down pat and then the minute I perceive myself not to have it all together I crumble yes and it's this these extremes and that that is your perception of you not having it all together Mm. (laughs) how many people like oh you've really got your shit together and we just said that about you know Steph's apartment she must have her shit together It's it's just all perception it's all perception and I think it's good to be aware of when you are in your masculine, when you are in your feminine and when to bring practices in because that ultimately becomes part of your self-care ritual. Mm. So you also don't only practice yoga, you also do gym? Yeah. So last year I was doing a lot of CrossFit and I really, really, really loved it. I loved how strong I felt in my mind, in my body. But I think too when you do lift a lot of heavy weights, well, biochemically you're increasing your testosterone (laughs) just by doing so um I felt really really masculine just by doing that I started pulling back in December and this year I've been going to the gym a little bit but nothing as hardcore as CrossFit and balancing that out with yoga what are some other practices that you found are really beneficial for finding a balance between that masculine feminine yeah this year I tapped into some ecstatic dance doing five rhythms and that insanely brings out the feminine energy you know the first time not so much because you're a little bit nervous a little bit shy but if that's one thing I could highly recommend to anyone not sure how to tap into that feminine energy or even just their heart space getting some energy moving it's definitely ecstatic dance that was a very healing experience for me when I was doing it I even said to my pal at the time I wish I'd found this earlier you know last year when I was in dire need of something that powerful. Um, So heartbreak, I think ecstatic dance is one of the answers. It's completely surrender. Yeah, and I I think it ties back into um, movement and breath as the biggest healer and in that transformation because when you've got so much internal movement going on, especially in your heart space, Mm -hmm. having your external reflect that and be able to release it in ways? Movement is a conduit for so many things and healing, creativity, tapping into 
again, masculine, feminine movement is so powerful. And I don't think, even when people come to their mat, I just keep saying, move like you. Don't look like somebody out of yoga journal, somebody out of a textbook. Don't even look like me. Just move. It's a movement practice. You know, I, I don't consider myself as a real traditional teacher for many reasons, you know, music being really loud, perhaps one of them. <laughs> but my swearing, probably another reason. Um, I I think that being unorthodox in that sense, though, it gives people more permission to just show up and let the rest take care of itself. You don't have to move like anybody else. The movement is there to shift energy, to empower you and just to break free from all the shit that we go through. And we carry so much of our stress and our trauma and our in anxiety our in our body. Yep. And you can really see it. Like I, when I do work with my clients at the beginning of the therapy, we, I can really see how much they're carrying in their body. And I've started integrating a bit of somatic work into, oh, amazing. into my therapy sessions because I, I've seen the beauty and the transformation that body work has. Um, Absolutely. The body remembers everything. Everything. Every trauma joy it remembers everything um but it doesn't mean that we have to hold on to everything either no and so through ecstatic dance I, I did dancing eras a few years ago and that was for me like an eye-opening experience and and really a heart-opening it, experience well it connects you to your sensual self as well dance you know we we are so rigid in so many ways I remember the first time learning of the chakras one of the teachers saying you know think the base chakra is at the very, very, very base of your spine. It's on your, you know, just under your groin. And there's so many people who, because they're not connected to that part of their body, their sense of self, their identity, their security, you know, they'll go to move their hips when they're dancing. It's just like rigidity, rigidity. It's like you got to get loose in that area. you got to feel into it. And that can be quite sensual. You know, in ecstatic dance, there's people getting in little squats on the ground, walking along, connecting to the floor. It's not just you know, moving your hips or sh- shoulder shrugging, you're doing all kinds of movement that feels quite primitive in many ways. Um, and it can be really messy. And that's how I kind of look at the practice as well. Like just colour outside of the lines because that's where the energy is really going to shift. And so much of our creativity is stored in our sex centre as well. Oh, yes. And and so if we're blocked there, how creative and innovative can we be in any aspect of our life? Because we're going to carry ourselves exactly the way our body carries us. And so being able to find practices that do release that. And that comes down to pleasure as well. You know, a woman, when she has an orgasm, is actually <laughs> accelerating her creativity. So, that, again, it comes from that sex centre. Yeah, and it's that age-old, you know, when you're having, I guess, in, in terms of heterosexual sex, you know, and and a man will use all his chi energy and then release it and fall asleep because he's actually given yes. energy. <laughs> and the woman sitting up being like, oh, my God, I could run a marathon right now. I could yeah. write a book. What can I do? And, mm. and being so um, able to cultivate that mm-hmm. creative energy within themselves. And so being able to do that through and find pleasure in it is such a beautiful... Absolutely. Um, so talk to me when nutrition comes into it. Well, what I've really enjoyed teaching so often is not only do I want people to come to my class and feel, oh, yeah, I shifted energy, I moved, I'm in my heart space, whatever is at that day, I want them to know more about their body because what I've definitely learned over the past year in particular is actually people are quite disembodied whether it has been from trauma and becoming more trauma-informed this past 12 months has been really eye-opening, whether it's just because they haven't wanted to connect to themselves. You know, I was on a retreat recently 
Um, and a woman there talked about some of her trauma and how disconnected from her body she felt. And if you're not in that space yourself, it's hard to think that somebody else is. So um, for me, nutrition, knowing all about the human body from anatomy and physiology, I want people, not so scientifically sometimes, but I want them to know more about it, to connect to their body more. Why are we doing this with our body? What is the purpose? Because if we're not moving from purpose, be still. There's just no point. Like be still and find purpose within the stillness. But I um, have noticed that a lot of people these days are practising yoga to a sense that it becomes too much almost with the stretching component and our bodies, they weren't designed to be overstretched. They don't need to be overstretched. So if you can bring in the knowledge of the human body and start to educate students of stretching, mobility, strengthening, flexibility, stability, bring all those together, I think that really empowers them to take better, better care of their body, better care of their health. It is a well-being practice. Um, then there's sort of more retreats where I'll delve much deeper into, okay, we're going to do workshops on the human body for its nutrition, select whether it be the digestive system, which I specialise in gut health, or I do an all-women's retreat, which could be all about the hormones, the cycle. And then you just start talking more in depth about diet. But I do, I mean, I see clients on the side as well, but to bring the two together, I think really amplifies the experience for the student or the client of how to better their health. I have to say I found, um, I've always had a, a really interesting relationship to food and mm. to my body and yep. um, definitely have used different modalities to kind of reconnect. Um, but the one book that I picked up that I found so eye-opening was um, Alyssa Vitti's Woman Code. Okay. And it was all about the endocrine system and understanding why when – um, you know, for women who's, who suffer from PMS or PMT and, and were craving particular foods at that particular time of the cycle and then, you know, actually looking at all the different phases and understanding why your body craves and what we're deficient in in that moment. Mm. It's quite amazing that we can see the cycle in so many different ways and if we're on any form of contraception, how that actually alters the experience the woman is having um, in her body in movement in her body, in craving, in diet, in mood, emotion, um, in her creativity. So, you know, we do speak of the cycle going in the same seasons as the weather. So we have our winter, we have our spring, we have our summer, our autumn. And the summer is the most creative time for us. And it's a really beautiful time where we're like, I have all these ideas and I'm in my solar plexus and I just want to radiate and shine and, ooh, I want to go down the street looking all good. And there's just so many things that come up in the, in the, uh, the psyche of the woman there. But what we crave is usually a direct reflection of actually what we're deficient in. So, so many women around their period, like, I just want chocolate, 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 chocolate. I don't care if it's Cadbury, if it's lint, give it to me. Um, one of the key nutrients in cacao, which is the um, raw cacao that is, when it's been unrefined, is magnesium. And magnesium is what a lot of people who actually do suffer PMS, and there's four types of PMS, it's what they're sometimes deficient in. The sugar we crave the sweet things when we're stressed, but also the inflammation picture. But sugar in itself is pro-inflammation, so we're just causing more inflammation. 
So it's like, oh, you want to give in to these cravings. It's like, where do you find the balance between intuitive eating and cravings? I say eat a little bit of chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) I do eat a little bit of chocolate. It's all about balance. It's all about balance. Yeah. And I think also I, I guess what I'm hearing you say is having the knowledge and the understanding creates an ability to empower yourself Absolutely. to make the right choices. For um, yourself. Mm. So in terms of your the name of your nutritionist brand is Love Your Guts? Yeah, like it's kind of like my mission. I want people to love their guts. So I specialise in gut health but just even taking on practices, whether it is ecstatic dance, is it yoga, is it going to CrossFit or rock climbing, whatever the activity, writing, painting, drawing, how can you find ways to be more in love with yourself that you are going to look after yourself from a biochemical level to a holistic level to a physical level and just that emotional connecting to you. We've spoken a lot about, you know, external practices that we can do um, and I'm finding that in the past month I have I know all the things, you know, I know what to do. Um, and sometimes but. I... But. It's winter. But it's winter. Um, external. Yes. And I just want to be internal. I want to be introspective. And I know that those practices can often facilitate that. I think now I'm kind of in a space where I've decided to stop listening to audiobooks and podcasts while I'm driving just for this week to see how I'm feeling because now I feel like I'm overstimulating and and getting so much in the external and I'm finding when is that time for integration? Like when is the time for integration that we learn and we can actually integrate these practices and integrate their feeling of how we feel on an on an inner level and, and understanding what I can cultivate internally without having to source externally. So I think that comes back to what works for you in a practice of being in self-care. Is it doing a shop at Terra Madre where you know it's going to be really hectic and crazy or is it like, you know, I'm going to scope out a really low-key organic grocery store this weekend, take my time, what's going to nourish me? It doesn't have to be super healthy. Again, do I want chocolate because I'm PMSing? Like what is it? And then just taking your time from there. You know, we talk about that yin energy. That's that's that inward, that's that introspective energy. So when I think of yin, I think of slow. What is nourishing me that I can do slowly? You know, if you don't want to be listening to a podcast this week or an audiobook, there's two ways of looking at that. If you end up listening to it and the guilt creeps in because that wasn't your intention, the positive of that is you're still using your dead time, right? That's that's what travelling to and from is. So for me, I consider listening to a podcast an introverted practice on my behalf because I'm usually doing so many things that are extroverted um, and I, I really actually crave introverted time. But journaling is a huge thing. Um, pen to paper is absolutely magic, which I know you know. Um, it's, and that's about not overthinking. It's literally just what is, what is my hand about to do? Boom, words are on the page. Oh, shit, I can't stop. My hand hurts. Um, but also if you sit there, people consider meditation to be this practice. You've got to sit up straight. You've got to be fully awake, fully alert, no noise around you, no external stimuli. We're not becoming monks. Like that's it, – they're, they're beautiful. We – respect them, appreciate them. But to fit that into our everyday life, sometimes meditation is five minutes a day. It can be 15 minutes. It can be leaning up against this couch. I wouldn't recommend doing it in bed because you will fall asleep. Bed is for sleep and sex only, really. That's 
meditation can be in the chair, in the kitchen, you know, even in the car. There's different ways of meditating. If you're not going to listen to your podcast, you choose things to be really aware of, you know, when the car pulls up at the traffic lights, something to look at, something to focus your eyes on, different forms of meditation. But I think that nourishing practices, it just come back to aligning with what you're doing with an intention. So if right now there's a reason why you don't want to be listening to an audiobook, cool, do that. But whatever your intention is, never back it with guilt if you don't see it through. I think the guilt feeds much more stress into us with our diet, with, oh, I didn't go to yoga this week and that guilt that creeps in didn't move my body. Cool, you didn't move your body this week. Maybe you didn't need to. Maybe what you needed was more stillness and more rest. We get so guilty over rest where, in fact, all of us need more rest. I think rest is number one self-care. We need to sleep more, go to the sauna, sit in the sauna. That's rest. comes back to that, you know, guilt comes back to that word should. Yes. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Ugh. And being able to, I guess, trust that your body is so intelligent. It is. It knows exactly what it needs and where we get caught up is in the our interpretation of what our body is telling us so you know what our mind then tells us and I I wrote something recently about the difference between I was trying to change a patterning of mine that I'd seen throughout my life um, play out and I was trying a different approach and when I first started trying a different approach I kept saying to myself in my head this is so (laughs) counterintuitive and I was like actually it's not actually counterintuitive, it's counter-conditioning. When you do something different to what your mind has known and what your adaptation has been, you're only changing your conditioning. But your intuition, that never lies. No, and that can change. Totally. Mm. It changes from moment to moment, but it's that feeling. And I guess if you can tap in and actually trust, then maybe the guilt falls away. Then maybe it's just like, cool, I didn't get up for yoga today or the day before or (laughs) for the last two months. Um, (laughs) It hasn't been that long, has it? (laughs) No, I've gone to one or two classes here and there. You also haven't been there for a while. Dude, (laughs) I was away for a week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I guess it's about, yeah, learning. And I know I'm doing this more consciously is, is is trusting in in the first feeling that I have and in tr- and trusting that it's okay and there is no should or shouldn't it's it's how do I want to feel I think it it does fall back on the expectations we put on ourselves too though it could because you have set this expectation that you are a yogi therefore you're going to yoga most mornings um I mean, I, I have no expectation on you. I know that you come to my classes most mornings, but I, I really do believe that we need to rest more. And so many people come into my morning classes and like, oh, I had to drag myself to be here. And I'm like, that's okay, but it's also okay to rest, just so you know. And if you need to do this 60-minute practice, half of it lying on your back, you do that because that's okay too. You know, one of my late teachers, Marty Azradi, would say yoga is not another demand we place on ourselves. It's here to support our lives. And I think all the little practice that we do it ultimately is there to just support how we want to live this life, our lifestyle, the choices we make. How can we create that balance? Yeah, I think everything comes back to intentions, like, you know. Purpose. Purpose. And, I, purpose and, you know, even you, you practice something like yoga or Tai Chi or something, you know, that has got that purpose that instills within that within you, that 
It's just a mindful practice, right? And you become more mindful in your decisions. I was thinking before that, you know, we always look at like yoga teachers and nutritionists and they live this holistic <laughs> life and they're just perfect and they always make oh, the best decisions, right? They're be- the best decisions no, for we themselves. Don't fuck up. Right. <laughs> and so the thing I love about you is the rawness and realness that you bring to your life, to your practice, to everything. Um, That's expectation too though. People like you're a nutritionist, you're a yoga teacher. Are you vegan? Are you vegetarian? You must eat so well. You must do this. You must be in bed at this time. I mean, we're not, no one's perfect. We're all imperfectly perfect. And if anything, studying food and the science behind it, it makes you become so much more real with food, not so on one end of the scale or the next. And I really appreciate that knowledge because it's allowed me to live such a balanced lifestyle that I'll have, like last, no, the night before last, my housemate and I had grilled, eating chips on the couch together, you know, balance. All about balance. Mm. How do you, um, do you ever go into self-deprecation when you feel like you are not embodying what you usually embody? No, I used to. Mm. I definitely used to. And then I think over time I've just become more, more aware of why I'm making decisions, I guess, and what actually nourishes my soul. You know, when I turned 30 last year, I remember writing this massive massive piece in my journal about what I actually want in my life and what I'm what I'm striving towards in a way that not over striving but what how I see my ideal sort of lifestyle and it's not all acai bowls and rainbows and early morning yoga practices there's a lot of yoga in there there's a lot of acai in there but there's also a lot of dancing doofing psychedelic times there's times with friends drinking wine road tripping traveling there's things that monk wouldn't do (laughs) but also you know I I love so much going out for a big dinner with friends and that involves drinking wine or sake or something you know I don't think there's anything as a perfect diet I think some people strive to do it and the stress if they fall outside of their lines or their rules of that being a perfect diet, the stress is actually more unhealthy than the food itself. Mm. It's interesting because I think about boundaries that we set for ourselves and doing all this inner work that I've done over the past few years and, you know, reparenting my inner child and and, and trying to kind of get to a, a place um, and... Over the past week, I've just been thinking about actually what does a child really need and want in life is to be playful. Playful, to to be nurtured, to be nourished, to be loved. You know, and there's so many things that we do that make us feel that way. You go to a yoga class and we're doing handstands. You go to a, you know, big music festival and everyone's just like got the shit-eating grin on their face. You know, it's like simple, right? We've got some tunes on, we've got mates, got good food. Like what we want, what we, I don't want to say the word need, but (laughs) (laughs) our simple pleasures, they don't cost much money either, right? You know, on that retreat I was on recently, the woman who ran the retreat said, write down 50 things that you savior. And I'm like, no, I want to write them as simple pleasures, what I really, really love that just makes me feel warm inside. I don't know if any of them cost money, or not much money, a bottle of wine, you know, 30 bucks. But it was like sunsets, sunrise, morning sex, (laughs) like all these really nourishing things. 
know, spaghetti bolognese, like that's not a healthy food, but it's not an unhealthy food either. So I think things that really nourish us are actually really simple. Mm. And they're playful and curious. And, we can, and it's it's part of having that that joy because life sometimes in our heads becomes very serious. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why either. <laughs> and I feel like I um yeah, over the past few months, and I don't know whether it's winter and we're in Melbourne and everything's grey and mm. everyone's wearing black and it's all a big <laughs> funeral over here. Mm. And I'm, you know, taking everything so seriously. And I've just taken a step back this week and thought, actually, I just want to be playful, mm. even in even what a beautiful in the, thing, even in the crap. Yeah, um, yeah, good. You know, even in the crap, I can play with it. <laughs> like, I can throw it around and and find some sort of enjoyment in every experience. You know what you need to do? You need to create a really sweet mix for the kitchen. I've got one called Kitchen Boogie. Yes. And you just need to dance around your house, man. You need to shake that loose. <laughs> Talk to me about music because I think that's the one thing um, that we haven't touched on that I find in your classes is, like, it enhances my experience so much. So what part does music play for you? It's funny how people have quite different perceptions on music in a yoga class. Some people don't like the music because they just want to hear themselves breathe or they think it takes them out of their thoughts or it's too much external stimuli. For me, uh, I just find yoga to be such a dance with the breath, dance with yourself. It's very intimate. You know, the breath itself is a love language to the body. Um, So for me, the music, it just enhances the way you want to move, the cadence, the rhythm in your body. I think it really helps people to just shake it off a little bit and to feel more comfortable being in a room with other people. It comes back to that experience. Again, I'm going to put it down to being at a music festival. That sick, sick song comes on and everyone connects over it. When I was at a music festival at the start of the year, I ran into about 10 students and one of them came up to me and she's like, oh, my God, I am still so sore from Thursday's class when you thrashed Bonnevere. She goes, and then you played Moby and, oh, my God, I got lost in it that I've never practised so hard in my life. And I was like, damn, I love hearing that because, yeah, you loved the movement, but putting on a song that made you feel something that enhanced your entire practice and it was memorable Right, So we think of music as being memorable. If we did see it live or if we were in a certain space, whether it be growth or stagnation, and we heard that song, we can relate it to something. Sometimes it is painful. You know, I try to avoid painful songs in yoga, but I have heard them myself and they can make you feel a certain emotion. But to me, yoga and music is a beautiful combination. You know, I used to teach hip-hop yoga and... I didn't take that practice seriously in a spiritual sense, but fuck, it felt good to move. And if you feel good moving on your mat, then I think you've done enough. And it's also just so great that you can use so many of your senses. And like music is just vibration, right? It's, it's, it's frequency. And, and mm. It's total frequency. Energy. Mm. And so when you're moving, you, you're moving that energy throughout your body with your body movement and, you know, you've got this incense burning and you've got your sight and this, you know, dimly lit room and then yeah. you have these oh yeah my room it's always dim I hate oh, bright lights I mm. love the dimly lit room <laughs> that in the morning <laughs> and then you're putting on bangers you know it's a, just like an the overall XX. experience and yeah. I was like this is yeah it's quite adorable how many people come up and say I want that playlist I want to practice at home so if my playlist can help them get a home practice too then I that 
that's a beautiful. I really like that. So I think I do think music can really enhance an experience. Absolutely. Sometimes there's a bit of Lauren Hill in class. Sometimes there's a bit of oh, Fortet is really great in class. Fortet is the best. And then seeing him live this year, uh, there's there's just no place he doesn't belong. Yoga room, <laughs> outside, <laughs> in the car, in the shower, it all works. It's so good. And also even when you put on those kind of songs that are more, I guess, emotive, the Bonnevere and the Rye, and it yeah, does right. come up often in Shavasana and, and I'm lying there, even if that song has been linked to a painful experience or grief or loss um, or resistance, I often find that when I hear it, I kind of smile because I'm like, wow, there's been so much growth in that time period between Beautiful. when that had that memory attached to it and now I've got an extra. And I think that's another really powerful thing about taking on a spiritual or a mindful practice such as yoga or any movement practice is just stopping and we do have that moment of stillness. Like instead of looking to where that next point is, where have you been? Because shit, look where you've landed. You know, and that's the thing about having a physical movement practice. Your body gets stronger. Recognise that strength. You did it yourself. And that there's always, we're always going to be on this continuous journey of growth. It doesn't stop, you know, even, you know, if you've been practising yoga for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, like your body still has, because your body's always changing, your body still has time to move and grow and stretch and expand. And I think that's life. I agree. But I guess I'm thinking about, you know, when when we're going through a hard time and we know all the things that we have to do, um, but we often kind of make the decisions in the other way, you know, the self, you know, the self-sabotage. So you had mentioned previously about, um, you know, toxic versus tonic. And what does that look like for you? I think that we don't really know how we're going to handle a really tough situation until we land in one. And that is so subjective, but it's also so dependent on where we have been recently or how, I guess, the level of, well, how extreme it is. You know, this year, for instance, when my sister was put on life support, I had nothing prepared me for that. No pranayama, no meditation practice, no yoga asana. I to an extent, I guess it prepared me when the anxiety definitely creeped in being in the hospital that day and just sitting there focusing on breath, even though my head started going so busy. But uh, for two weeks, I didn't practice any yoga because I was in the hospital every day. And I would say to myself the word should, you should be moving your body. You're not doing anybody in this room any good by just sitting here because you feel shit and your nervous system feels shit. Your Everything feels shit. But you can be so debilitated sometimes that you kind of just have to look after what's happening right in front of you and know that whatever practice you've started in your life you can come back to that it's still going to be there because you've instilled that and you've set the intention to be in that practice as a ritual um toxic behaviors I think again are really subjective to a lot of people but particularly the way that we think I think it just comes back to that guilt and the word should I think that's what is going to be the toxic behaviour in any situation, whether it be really hard or we're not so sure where we're at so we might turn to just going out on the weekends instead or drinking during the week. If we have set these sort of harmonious behaviours up, that's going to come down to balance. So everyone is different though, so I can't speak for them. For me, I know that 
I did shock myself this year going through a hard time that I didn't really turn to my practices as much as I wanted to. But after about those two weeks of being in the hospital, all I wanted to eat was broccoli. Fuck, I wanted broccoli. And because I wasn't doing any cooking for myself, I wasn't home to cook, to even do a grocery shop for weeks. I had really beautiful friends step in and be like, I've done your groceries, they're in the fridge. You know, my boss at Good Vibes brought me lots of groceries, lots of soup and the healthy food started coming back in. And I think it's when you take something out of your life and it could be, again, I'm just going through a rut or one of my loved ones is in hospital, whatever the situation, when you've had it and you take it away, you feel it. You feel it so much that you start to crave it again. You crave the movement. You crave sitting there taking a deep breath in and making it loud on the breath out. You crave spinach and broccoli and things that you know are nourishing you because you feel like shit. You, your digestive system goes into shutdown you, or your skin reacts. You can see it in the quality of your skin, the quality of the colour of your eyes, you know, your energy, how snappy you could get, your mood changes so I think that it comes down to the practice of being self-aware, being aware and slowly, not rushing to bring those things back in, but one thing at a time. Okay, I've been through a hard time. No reason to feel guilty. I'm going to order or cook a really healthy meal right now. Tomorrow morning, if I wake up in time for yoga, I will. Otherwise, I'll go to the afternoon class. It's like, you've got to be so kind to yourself, man. Like life's mm. too short. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the thing I struggle with most is self-compassion and, and oh, being, yeah. you know, I'm allowed. I'm allowed to take a hiatus from yoga. I'm allowed Absolutely. to eat crap because you know what? Even the one thing that I've known to be true above all else is that nothing stays stagnant. Everything is always in motion. Absolutely. And that is how nature works. That is how people work. That is how the whole universe works like that. And so if I know that this time, this this moment in life where I'm going through whatever it is that I'm going through, whether it be a breakup or losing my job or, you know, just feeling like crap or having a fight with a friend or whatever it is, I know this is going to pass. And so, okay, so my practice will come back to me and, and not having to be so hard on myself. Absolutely. I know that if I'm going through a hard time, all I want is pasta and bread and now seeing one of my other loved ones going through a really hard time, I see her going for the same kind of food and almost a little bit of guilt crawls in. And I said, no, just eat the pasta, eat the bread because that is actually nourishing you in a different way. It's nourishing your soul, it's nourishing what you're wanting right now is intuitive eating. There's a reason why we want carbohydrates in certain times. Our body's number one fuel source is carbohydrates. So if we're depleted of other sorts of energy because we've been in a hard place... That's what the body wants. So we're nourished. Yeah, and just trusting that. I think also, you know, I think the things we talk about come from a huge place of privilege, privilege to live a life where we have choice, where Absolutely. we have um, choice to, to tap into that intuition and to make changes in our life. And I think, you know, I it always com comes back to understanding everything's relative and... Mm -hmm. When I was working in the gypsy community in in India, I went in with this perception that, you know, these people and the way they were going to be living was going to be awful and they were going to be unhappy and they were going to have... And the <laughs> one thing I learned is that, you know, they looked at life not as 
where I'm going to be when I'm 25 and need to achieve not all doing that stuff. measuring mm. it was all about what am I going to do today yes and, and that basic need for survival meant that they made choices to be joyful in moments where if I was in it I would probably feel shitty and it's, it's the one thing I learn about you know with privilege comes responsibility and we have choice yes. and so how can we be responsible with our choices and just being okay dude it's a privilege earlier. to breathe yeah like just to be here and after a few incidences this year that has just been the clear message to me life is fragile you have this amazing life that yes you've created but just don't take a day for granted mm. notice your breath every day be grounded pull in those grounding practices and you're right we we do need to lean into the joy even in painful moments because this is pretty amazing this life it's all pat and pass love and it is privilege and that's another thing marty marty has right actually passed away recently she's a teacher from la and she she did say that to practice yoga is a privilege and with that privilege comes a responsibility to take your practice off the mat so, again, how you're showing up here, show up there. That's it. And this is what I love about the beauty of doing yoga so early in the morning. It's like it really brings you into a bit of an awareness of how do I want to show up to this life? How do I show up? want to show up and what do I want to admit in this life? Yep. You know, Rise well, to the fucking occasion. That's it. <laughs> and not take it so seriously. And where I can do, I will do. And where I can lean, I will lean. And mm. where I can surrender, I will surrender. Got Yeah. So I'm really grateful because I think my yoga practice has been stronger because I go to your classes and I feel like it's a real holistic experience and so I'm ever so grateful for mm. you to I'm be my I'm ever teacher. so grateful that you come and that you show up so fierce. <laughs> Sometimes I know I'm like, she's in a side plank and she does not want to be there. <laughs> I love it. There was one class I came to in college and you were like, you know, and sometimes you don't have to do everything in the class. And I was like, are you talking to me? Yes. I know. <laughs> yeah. And I love that because you just, yeah, I guess you just allow people and remind them that just show up as you are and mm. wherever you're at. And if you need to push yourself that day, you need to push yourself that day and that's okay. But also but if you need to rest, yeah. you know, I can't say it enough to everyone to stop when you need to stop. Not just here. If you're doing something outside of the mat, you can turn your no into a yes. You can turn your yes into a no. Stopping is always an option. Yes. Or no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So we're coming to the end of the podcast. I feel like there will probably be part two down the track because you and I talk many, many, many things. Oh, all the things. So we are. This is actually quite PG for us. Yeah, this is extremely PG. Maybe <laughs> the next one will put out a little warning and you'll get the raw <laughs> and have real. To. Yes, <laughs> 100%. But um, I always like to end off the podcast on something that you're grateful for. So I'm just grateful to be here. I really am. I'm grateful for the people that I live with at home. They are such a beautiful, beautiful group of people that have become family and I'm grateful for my family and the relationships that I have cultivated over the years, how stronger my tribe is getting as time goes on and fuck, people are amazing. Yep. I'm so grateful that you joined us. And come again, please. <laughs>
Uh, also, <laughs> I'm going to get rid of that self-doubt, you know, the little patterns. And yeah, yeah. Well, now you've done it once. You'll be fine. <laughs> um, how do people find you? They want to come to your yoga classes, your retreats. I'm like, they find me really abrupt and assertive. <laughs> <laughs> I've been called a, um, a drill sergeant. <laughs> um, JennaLeeMcInnes.com is my website. Uh, JennaLeeMcInnes is my Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Retreats are always on my website. There's a retreat coming up in October. It is a women's only health retreat and it won't be so PG. It'll be very, very out there, but I'm extremely excited for that one. Um, And I teach a Good Vibes Yoga in Collingwood and Northcote. Amazing. Come along. You'll see two familiar faces from the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, she's coming back apparently. Yeah, yeah, tomorrow, Wednesday. When you're ready. (laughs) When I'm ready. (laughs) Dude, when you're ready. Thanks for having me.